Are you ready for the big show? I am uh, working on my parents' hi-fi, Wi-Fi. That they had somebody in from MTS here in Manitoba to um, add some kind of new non-DSL connection, mm-hmm. and they they I I, I, I I came in here and I sat down. And I fired up my laptop, and there's no Wi-Fi network. And it turns out that the guy had completely disassembled the router and just left it on the desk, saying that, oh, you don't need this anymore, and just left it there. So I had to reassemble everything. What? Yes. That's ridiculous. It, well, listen, it was a service call by some 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 Joe Job here. So um, anyway, it was, it, was, it was the least um, awkward thing that I had to deal with yesterday. The most awkward one was me having to explain – all the jokes and family guide at my mom. Ooh, that's a difficult prospect in the best of times. Yeah, yeah, and it was a it was a pretty racy one last night. So I, it was it was it was it was awkward. I can imagine. Are you still a fan of the Family Guy? I find it really hit and miss these days. No, I'm 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 okay with it. I, have you seen the uh, the reel, the teaser reel of the Family Guy Bob's Burgers Simpsons crossover? No, no, I haven't. It runs uh, about four minutes, and it looks absolutely fantastic. Somehow, the Griffins end up in Springfield. We're stuck here, Peter, and we don't even know where we are. Well, there's a sign. Huh. Guess we're in a town called Springfield. Springfield, eh? What state? I can't imagine we're allowed to say. They end up hanging out with the Simpsons. Originally, things start off really well, but then Peter and Homer get into a fight over beer. And after that, it all goes to hell. It's great. I laughed a lot. Are you ready for the big show? Well, we might as well go ahead and do it. Uh, Here we go from the basement in Stonewall, Manitoba. (laughs) Wow, must be a flashback for you. Well, you know what? I'm actually, I'm I'm actually sleeping in my old bedroom. Just look at this image of your feet dangling off the edge of the bed. Well, it's not a very big bed; it's a double bed-ish, and uh, they have painted the walls and they did put down a different carpet, uh, but it is the same ten by ten dimensions that I remember for all those years here in the basement. Is the weed you hid under the floorboard still there? I never did that. However, the porn is probably still in the ceiling <laughs> behind the acoustic tiles. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Wham! is working on a reunion, so I would be very afraid and I would lock your public restrooms. The 16 baddest cover songs of all time. And yes, Wonderwall is on the list, but you'll never guess who covered it. Rock and roll beers. We rate them for... Actually, we got somebody else to rate them. Uh, You can insert your own head joke here. Plus, the new iPhone won't be as indestructible as first thought. And what Steve Martin and 3D printed headphones may have in common. Let's just say I'm a wild and crazy guy. Yeah, you are. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. All right, so are are you braced for impact on George Michael getting back together with Andrew Ridgely to uh, reunite Wham? I'm surprised this actually hasn't hasn't happened already. 
It used to be that you, if you were a successful recording star, and this could be anyone from the Rolling Stones on down, you could expect to work to a certain age and then just sit back and collect the royalty checks forever until you died. Uh, for example, The Doors were generating, they were selling about 2 million copies of each of their albums every year up until about 2000. So if you were John Densmore, if you were Robbie Krieger, if you were um, Ray Manzarek, it was, it was great for you because you collected all, the, all the, uh, the, the royalties and you never had to worry about what you were going to do in your retirement. But when record sales went off a cliff beginning in about 2001, those every six months checks stopped being as big as they were. So this is a part. Of, this is a big ma- part of the reason why we're seeing so many of these older acts go back on the road is because that's the only way that they're making any serious coin these days. They've had a lifestyle; they've become accustomed to it, and they want to keep it. So they just gotta keep uh, keep on moving on the road. Andrew Ridgely hasn't really been doing a lot in the last twenty five years. Uh, he was a failed racing car driver, and George Michael has had his trials and tribulations. <laughs> More trial than tribulations. More, lots of trials, as a matter yes. of fact. You know, everything from being caught uh, doing something to himself in a private, in a, in a public washroom, to uh, getting involved in the falling out of a car on 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 uh, uh, on one of the major thoroughfares around London. Wham reminds me of uh, Tears for Fears, insofar as you had one contributor to the band who did pretty much all of the heavy lifting like in tears for fears it was roland orzabal who did all the work kurt smith just showed up and sang a couple of tracks ridgely got the same bad rap when it came to wham yeah he did kurt smith ended up going off and doing some solo work on his own but it never really did much uh they got together again how long ago was it maybe 10 years ago Mm mm-hmm and I, I, I was only reminded of that when somebody brought up Tears for Fears. I had completely forgotten about that reunion. Didn't really make that much of a splash. But, you know, somebody, listen, if, if new kids on the block can make $100 million going on the road and they're no longer kids, uh, you can bet that the original Wham! will make twice that much money. Someone told me one time that in the first album, every track had Wham! somewhere embedded in it. You ever heard that urban legend? That sounds like a 1984 thing to do. It's very possible. And careless whispers, you, you get that sort of a hint of it in there as well. That's interesting. I've, I, we should look that up. I didn't know this. Uh, and this uh, article comes to us courtesy of uh, GMB writer Matthew Smith. Uh, during his 33-year career, George Michael has sold over 100 million records worldwide. He was absolutely huge. Uh, you have to understand that this guy sold a gazillion. You know, in, in the middle 90s, this guy, well, in the 80s, late 80s and early 90s, the guy was huge. He was one of the biggest pop stars in the world. One of the biggest pop stars of his day, Chubby Checker. Oh, yeah, I, I love this story. Hottest dance sensation in the last four years, a thing called The Twist. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Chubby Checker. I love this story. So here's what happened. Uh, Remember the Palm operating system? Back in the olden days, it was uh, U.S. Robotics, and then Palm became its own company, and then it just sort of died on the vine when Hewlett-Packard bought it. Hewlett-Packard bought Palm uh, after they started issuing their own third-party apps. And one of the apps that came out on the Palm OS was something called the Chubby Checker. 
which purported to be able to estimate size if you just entered a few personal stats into the app. Not the least of which, shoe size. Shoe size, yes. So they, and it was, you know, European size, was it, uh, you know, American sizes, whatever. Uh, they called it the Chubby Checker. And uh, Mr. Twist heard about this, and he had actually trademarked his name, and he was also quite annoyed that he was being equated with such a device or such a such an application. So he sued, saying that it was uh, it was libelous, it was defamatory, it hurt his trademark, hurt his reputation and brand and image, and all that sort of stuff. Because I'm sure he's never gotten that before. Oh uh, no, no, never ever before. So it uh, it dragged out for quite some time. This was 2006 when the app came out. the uh, The lawsuit was just settled. Uh, I guess last week or, or maybe the week before. For a half million bucks? Yeah, it seems like a really small settlement. Um, really? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, something. How, how, how long, how big are your shoes? Well, then, no, that's. You would think that in a libel and slander and a trademark infringement suit, that the damages awarded by the judge would be much higher than 500000 I'm surprised it's actually that low. I'd like to know in which jurisdiction the lawsuit was filed. Was it in Texas? Was it in, which is where I think HP is, is, is headquartered? Um, was it in, Los, in California? Was it in New York? Wherever. It, it, a lot of it depends on the venue because uh, if, if you really want to go for big damages, you file in, in this one particular county in East Texas because uh, apparently the juries are very, very apt, uh, very, very... Um, likely to award you like stupidly huge damages. But, you know, um, he gets his $500,000. All of that's going to go to legal fees. And this app, which has been withdrawn for years, lives on only in, in um, archived news stories. What surprises me is that he got anything, considering the company that made it, Magic Apps, doesn't exist anymore. Well, that's it. Who are you suing? You're, su you're suing the parent company of the original software vendor for the operating system it, it it maybe that's why it was only you know a half million uh, uh 500 was it 500 million dollars no 500,000 500,000 excuse me yeah. no that's all i got just uh 500,000 dollars the app was only downloaded 84 times according to the guardian really 84 times well it's the palm os <laughs> that's probably the entire sum total of downloads for the palm os yeah you're probably right well that that could probably mitigate the damages as well if only 84 people were able to, to acquire it, and how many of those people were uh, associated with the lawsuit itself. So, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe maybe that doesn't uh, – it, it doesn't require anything more than 500000 And, you know, Chubby's, Chubby's made some good coin over the years. He's fine. Do you see this uh, top 16 – supposed to be 15 – but top 16 cover songs, the baddest cover songs of our time? No, where did you find this? Uh, at a website I've uh, frequented quite recently called geeksandbeats.com. Oh, I, I should be reading that one. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, again, uh, our contributor Matthew Smith uh, put this together. He Who's, says... Wait, 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 wait. Who's Matthew Smith? And what is he trying to pull? No, no, what? He is an uh, avid music listener and concert goer who loves to write and discuss anything music related. He spends more than he should on concerts and music, especially when it comes to vinyl collecting. Matt has many years of experience interning in the broadcast and print field. That's not my point. The point is, are we, how are we hiring so many people? People are banging down the door to work on this show. For nothing. We don't pay anything. There are no benefits. There's no salary. There's no anything. We've really figured it out, haven't we? You know, talk about a successful business model. Well, yeah, but this, you know, this led to the Civil War in the United States. Okay, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, <laughs> or burn it, okay. as the case may be. Okay, so let's go back to look at these sixteen most famous and not so famous cover tracks 
for us to listen to. Otis Redding singing the Beatles' Day Tripper. Queens of the Stone Age covering Billy Idol's White Wedding was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. I, I didn't mind that. Um, Foo Fighters do a lot of cover versions. Jerry Rafferty's Baker Street, I think the, that was very, that's a rare one. I think you can only get that one on a, on a bonus track of a Japanese CD, which is, which is kind of cool. How many people know that Blue Suede Shoes is a cover? Exactly. Yeah, okay. Uh, Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal was uh, released by Alien Ant Farm. That was a very big alternative rock radio hit. And uh, he writes, although it wasn't a successful hit when it first came out in 1989, Canadian Gordon Peterson should thank Eddie Vedder for receiving the royalty checks for covering Hard Sun. Yeah, Gordon Peterson worked under the name Indio. He actually sued Eddie Vedder when that cover came out because Eddie had uh, changed a couple of the words and, and Gordon didn't really like that a lot. But uh, that seemed to be a bit counterproductive considering that the guy disappeared after that one record, which was called uh, Big Harvest, 1989 and uh, hasn't been heard from since until the lawsuit. So just shopping, collect the checks, dude. Joe Cocker uh, with uh, Come Together of the Beatles. Santana doing a, a cover of a Gavin Rossdale for Bang a Gong by T-Rex. Better version is uh, The Power Station. Whole Lot of Love, covering Led Zeppelin at Santana. Should not be done. Rush Nailing Cream's Crossroads. Mm. Also, tribute to the Buffalo Springfield when they recorded their rendition of For What It's Worth. You know what? I've never heard that. I'm going to have to click off that link. Johnny Cash, one of the most distinctive baritone voices of any other artists. Uh, we've heard him cover Nine Inch Nails' Hurt, but when he sings Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode, doesn't it belittle Hurt? No. Joe Cocker covering another Beatles song, A Little Help, uh, Goodbye with a Little Help from My Friends. That's a fantastic version. Chris uh, Cornell uh, wailing at a Led Zeppelin tune. Uh, so can Scott Wheeland uh, when he was still with the Stone Temple Pilots. Dancing Days, the classic Led Zepp tune. Yeah, was that from a tribute album of some sort? I think it was okay. But I, I think nobody should really be covering Led Zeppelin. It's just a bad idea. Pearl Jam uh, has uh, 10 albums under their belt, uh, but one of the songs peaked as high as it did when they recovered Wayne Cochran's 1998 uh, l version of Last Kiss. I think I've spotted an error. Hang on. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, hang on. The song was uh, was not a Wayne... Was it a Wayne Cochran cover? Yes, it was. Good. Because ah. uh, the original version was Wayne Co Cochran. Uh, and then it was J. Frank Wilson and the Cavaliers that had the hit with it, really. And the one that really got me... And I, I tried to listen to the whole thing, and I got two minutes and 20 seconds into the two minutes and 38 seconds worth. Mike Flowers pops covering Wonderwall by Oasis. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you. I love that sound. I love that sort of vibe to it, but... I can only take it in small doses, and 2 minutes and 38 seconds was about 15 to 16 more seconds than I could handle. You know, I think, I'm just going to look up something here. Mike Flowers pops. One moment, please. Yeah, hang on. 
Okay. Mike Flowers Pops, and they do covers. I believe they were sued by the estate of John Cage, the experimental composer who recorded a song called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. And basically what it involves is a pianist sitting down at a piano for exactly four minutes and 33 seconds and playing nothing, <laughs> not touching the keys at all. And the idea, the idea is to get people to listen to all the things, all the ambient noise in the concert hall, in the recording studio that's happening during these four minutes and 33 seconds. If you go to iTunes, you can actually download four minutes and 33 seconds for 99 cents. Oh, no, 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 no. You want to pay the buck 29 so you get the DRM free version of that. Right. Sorry. Higher resolution audio, too. I believe, if I'm not wrong, I believe the Mike Flowers Pops covered four minutes and 33 seconds and was sued by the estate of John Cage. For silence. For silence. Mm. So the sound of silence is a cash register. Mike Flowers pops, popped up around 10 years ago at the end of the whole Britpop thing and maybe a little bit longer ago. And uh, uh, So is it all Burt Bacharach type stuff they do? That's what he does. I've got a couple of uh, I, I've got a couple of things of his at home. That'll get old pretty quickly. Well, it, it does. I mean, you know, it's, it's listen, whenever you're doing anything, you know, parody-wise or, 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 or just spoofing something, it, it, it gets pretty old quick. You've got a list of uh, a taste test of the 20 rock and roll beers from worst to best. I didn't realize there were 20 bands with beverages out there. Neither did I, but uh, this has become a very cool thing for a lot of craft brewers. They arrange some kind of deal with uh, a band's management company, and then they, you know, it's like Ben and Jerry's ice cream. You have Cherry Garcia, and there's a Bare Naked Ladies ice cream and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they just create a licensing deal, put something on the label, and then pour some kind of generic beer into it. Sometimes it's it's the beer is, is actually crafted properly, so it has certain notes that the band, uh, you know, approves of. I mean, tasting notes that the band approves of. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch here that I did not know. I, I knew about Kid Rock's Badass American Lager. I knew about Motorhead's Bastard's Lager. I know that Kiss had a beer and ACDC had a beer. In fact, I've got a can of that beer at home. Um, it's by and large metal bands that have decided to get into the beer market. Well, this is, I, I should point out that this list came from uh, a, a site called Loudwire, and Loudwire is hard rock and metal. Ah, okay. So they're going to focus mo mostly on this sort of thing. So there's nothing here from Sting. There's nothing here from Sting. There's nothing here from... The Maybe we'll ask him later on when he comes out. No, I wonder if there's a Dave Matthews beer. Let's just look that up. Dave, uh, Dave Matthews actually owns an interest in a... Yeah, actually, there is a Dave Matthews beer. Look at that. Does it taste like brick? He owns a uh, a vineyard in uh, in the Carolinas, I think. Of the top 20 beers, number one, Pig Destroyer's Permanent Funeral. Yes. So uh, good for Pig Destroyer, which is a metal band that I'm not aware of. But uh, Shall we play a little Pig Destroyer? Yeah, you go right ahead, and I'm, I'll, I'll get the tasting notes here so everybody can find it. We'll put it on the GNB website. Okay. Or maybe we'll get Matt Smith to do it. Uh, yeah, or one of the many thousands of people that we apparently <laughs> employ right now. Uh, permanent, permanent Funeral is the crown jewel of all metal and rock beers with a huge, wow, alcohol by volume of 10.5% and a perfect score of 100 on a site called Rate Beer. 
the Grind Titans reign supreme with their Imperial Double IPA. What, what's the alcohol content again? Ten and a half. So you'll go blind, but at least you can still listen to the music. Wow. As, again, it's, you know, overall score is like uh, 199 out of 200. I'm not a beer drinker, so I can't, I can't possibly tell you whether this beer is good or not. But if you can find some Pig Destroyer permanent funeral beer and serve that at a party, you'll apparently, well, it'll, <laughs> you're good. people get drunk very, very quickly, but you'll be a real hero. Uh, on the topic, uh, are you having any soju? Did you bring any with you there to Alberta? I mean, uh, in Manitoba. To Manitoba. No, no here we're, we're strictly uh, vodka and ice. Oh, well. I, well, I see, and I, and I don't have anything with me tonight because I was at my aunt's place. And she had okay. She has a new computer that she got for Christmas, but it's still in the box because she hasn't figured out how to transfer everything from the old Dell to the new Asus. So, okay, fine, I'll go over there. So I fire up the uh, the uh, old Dell, and the amount of crapware. Oh yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable. So I spent an hour deleting all these programs that no one ever needs. Early in my uh, family career with the in-laws. Uh, I went over to uh, the new father-in-law's place uh, to help him out with his computer. He, he was complaining it was getting slow, and he couldn't figure out why. Uh, I boot up uh, the machine. takes forever. Uh, load up his web browser, and about half the screen is filled with toolbars. Uh, we had a Google toolbar. We had an Ask.com toolbar. We had a Bing toolbar. Yep. We had... Uh... you got to be careful when you uh, update or install Adobe Flash because oh. by default it will try to install for you uh, an antivirus app. There was AVG antivirus. There was McAfee antivirus. There was uh, Norton antivirus. Oh, yeah. Good luck getting more than one of them on your machine to talk to each other, okay? They'll oh. just battle it out. And what else was there? Uh you know, there was something of protect your email, and I was looking in the uh, in the in the in the programs list, and all these publishers, these software publishers, I didn't recognize, and I, I bet you I pulled out twenty twenty five things, and you know, I reboot. All of a sudden, the computer's running like a like a dream. Yeah, but uh, she still wants to to make this uh, this switch. So fine, I'll I'll go do that. She insists on using uh, a web uh, a mail client called Incredibail. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, kind of like Hotmail. It's kind of like Hotmail, but again, it's all proprietary, and I'm trying to, you know, I spent uh, 20 minutes trying to find out where the, the file was, was, was living. And uh, so, I, okay, so I moved everything over, and she's got a million emails, each with uh, photo attachments. So I put that all into, I left it all moving over onto a USB stick, so I'm going to try and get that happening on the new machine later on tonight. But, uh, oh, just the garbage that people end up with on their computers. No wonder they don't work properly. I'm just afraid that the new computer, I'm going to boot it up and it's going to say, welcome to Windows 8. Oh, it quite possibly will. And oh. then you're going to be in a whole new world of hurt. I know. So if, if I see anything that says Windows 8 when I boot up the new computer, I'm going to say, put it back in the box, give it to a 14-year-old, let them work it out. Yeah, 14-year-old's not going to want that anyway. No, they're, they're not. I mean, I... I I installed Windows 8 on one of my machines, my, my secondary uh, studio machine at home, and I got so frustrated just trying to find a way to turn it off because you had to uh, – with the charms and the tiles and everything. And it made, it made me feel stupid. And uh, when Windows 8.1 came out with the start button back, uh, you would think that you went to software update, that that would, 
that would get you your, your Windows 8.1? Oh, no. You have to go to the Windows, uh, the Microsoft website, navigate around until you find download Windows 8.1 before you can get the thing going. So I just I haven't even turned the thing on in months. Maybe we need to change topics. Can, can we talk about hybrid cars in Manitoba, or is it kind of like doing so in Alberta where they'll run you out of town? Well, yeah. I mean, everybody here drives something North American, lots of Fords, lots of Chevys, lots of Dodges. Um, and the idea of, of having a, a car that you plug in, like, why would you do that? I mean, mm-hmm. here, uh, what's, what's gas at home right now? Uh, 137. Okay. 120 here. Oh, okay. Well, I, I would hope so. As you get closer and closer to the oil sands, it should get cheaper. Although that seems to be the, the, the line of thinking, but the reality is, is that we don't have enough refinery capacity in Alberta. Here so we go. You, yeah, exactly. You end up shipping your crude uh, to other markets like in the United States and then buying it back. Yeah, I know. Which explains why provinces like Ontario, et cetera, have a remarkably high gas price. Uh, but uh, actually, you bring up an interesting angle when we talk about this. Uh, GNB writer Alyssa Clarkson has written the five things she learned after purchasing a hybrid car. And one of them was that most people don't realize you, you don't plug them in. Uh, And, of course, hybrid is not fully electric, as she writes. She also writes that you probably accelerate too quickly. You reacquire an appreciation for a good cruise. You do save a lot of money on gas, but not in the way you think. To her point, because they have two cars, they generally drive the Prius, not the other vehicle that is not a hybrid. And therefore, not only is she saving gas by driving the Prius, but because they generally don't want to drive the other vehicle, um, that's uh, one thing that only gets filled up once a month. But the one that really interested me was gamification. Yeah, I know. I've seen the display in a Prius, and it sucks you in trying to make you drive in such a way that you save the most fuel or have the highest uh, mileage. Score. It, it actually displays a score. And if you go to geeksandbeats.com, if you're not familiar with the, the Prius dashboard itself, she's included an image that shows your eco score, your start, your cruise, your stop. Uh, she says the, the thing that she never expected out of buying a hybrid car was uh, competing with her husband for the best braking score or the best liters per 100 kilometers. She says she can go about three liters per every 100 kilometers, whereas my Honda Civic, I think it's something like 20. No, your Honda Civic would be around seven or eight. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, probably. And yeah, in, I don't in know the city, you do. No, no, in the city, it would be higher. It would be around 12 or 14. Um, I know that my car on a long, on a long uh, cruise is about 7.1, but that's at 120 kilometers an hour nonstop. But in the city, it, it goes you know, right through the roof, like 23 I would never have thought that you'd end up, you know, playing with the dashboard to try to get a higher score. Yeah, I, I do. I, a couple of years ago, um, a guy gave me a test drive in a Fisker. Gesundheit. Which is, which is a hybrid. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, you know, I really liked the car. I liked it a lot. Uh, Fisker, of course, is, uh, is no more. They went out of business. But uh, – they had it had a big screen and it had something similar, not as quite as is as, as a video game as as the Prius, but it it, it made you want to try and uh, get as good mile as good a mileage as you possibly could. It was it was actually kind of fun, and I, I never realized that it would be. You know, that's that's actually a stroke of brilliance, don't you think? 
I really do, because you're not only getting an indication that the vehicle is saving you money, saving you gas, saving the environment, but the idea that you're competing with your spouse is what drives you to get that higher score. And uh, some spouses, some couples can be really quite competitive. Uh, wifey and I really aren't wired up that way. Are, are, are you and uh, Meb no. wired up that way? No, not at all. Mm. Not at all. She, uh, for her, a vehicle is something to get from point A to point B. It's a tool. It's a tool. Me, it's all about the the drive. Ah. We got an update uh, for you, courtesy of GMB contributor Jason Tolman on the new iPhone. Oh, wait, another one? Dude, I told you the intent here was for you and I to do the least amount of work as possible. So far, it's working. Jason seems to be the hardest working one. He's the one that's going to be the most trouble. You realize that? I do. He currently has, as we look uh, on uh, the masthead here at GMB.com, uh, he has uh, the most number of contributions at 10, followed by Matthew Smith at 6, Matt Padani at 2, and Alyssa Clarkson at 2 as well. Mm. Uh, Vanessa Azoli and Steve Feek and Brent Chittenden have all contributed, as has Peter Christensen. We're going to have to have a Christmas party. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Oh, I know. This and we've got an HR representative now. We do, yeah, Darren Simonelli. Oh God, it, it, I, dude, this is this is getting bigger than anything you could possibly have imagined. So, so how many people report to us uh, at this stage? Twelve. Jesus, are, are you feeling a little nervous here, or, or is this a, a a startup company kind of energy that you're getting out of this? Um, I'm just We're going big, baby. We're going to beat Microsoft. I'm just worried about performance reviews and. Uh, no, 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 no. We'll leave that up to. <sighs> CRA is going to come after us, or somebody, you know, the labor board is going to come after yeah, us. I'll let Darren deal with all that. We don't pay Darren either. Well, maybe we need to pay him. <laughs> but uh, Jason writes, uh, in this day and age, nothing gets people more revved up than a good Apple rumor. I think you and I would be sucked into that world as well. It's funny. I was out for a, a run today with my iPhone 5S, and I was thinking, hmm, I can't wait to get my 6 in the fall. I'm hoping to get a 6 as well. Uh, Apple passed me over when they uh, sent me the 5. Uh, I was hoping they'd send me the 5S. They did not. Uh, the App Central TV show that I uh, co-host with Amber Mack uh, has been... Um, Blacklisted? Put on well, it's been put on permanent hiatus. Oh, so they they don't exactly feel the need to, to bring me up to speed on everything. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping to weasel out of the five and into the six now that the power button on the top here is starting to die. But uh, the screen was expected to be all sapphire glass for the new iPhone six. Do you know what sapphire glass is? Yes, I have it on all my watches. It is an indestructible virtually anyway synthetic crystal that apparently is second only to diamonds in strength yes in fact i am wearing right now a bomb and mercier watch with a sapphire crystal and uh, i've had it uh, with me for for many many years and the damn thing has not got a single mark on the face the problem apparently is that it's difficult to make the screens like, like your little watch face, there's nothing wrong with trying to make a, a, a sapphire-based screen out of that. That glass is small enough. But something as large as an iPhone screen, apparently they're having trouble with this, so they don't have the yields high enough uh, to be able to pump it out. So apparently the latest rumor, according to The Guardian, is nope, uh, the iPhone 6 will not have this. Although I can imagine the iWatch being small enough could very well have it, and that's probably where you really want it. Well, yeah. But did you see the video of the guy who purportedly had a... Uh... Uh, sapphire screen no oh you didn't oh no listen look it up i mean he uh he tried all kinds of th uh, things to to break it to 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 bend it uh to scratch it and in the end the only thing that destroyed this screen was rolling a one and a half ton truck over top of it really 
Yeah, he had a nail and it was just hammering at it. And oh, yeah, nothing. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. Well, I certainly hope that they managed to figure out this yield issue and, and put them on the screens because the one thing that surprised me about the iPhone 4 after the iPhone 3GS got a lot of negative reviews for the glass cracking easily is they put the glass on the back as well as the front. Yeah, that was a dumb thing. I mean, it was it was an aesthetic uh, decision and it looked great, but then the moment you drop that, you know, I've ne- I'm going to say this and it's going to happen to me, but I have never... Uh, cracked an iPhone screen in all the iPhones that I've had. Now I put a case on everything that I that I buy, which kind of defeats the purpose of you know the look of the iPhone in some cases. But I've never cracked the screen, and I live in terror of that. Which is exactly why I do not have a case on mine, and I ride bareback largely because, frankly, it's not my phone. It doesn't belong to me, and if I break it, I just need to give it back to Apple. Um, and I'm sure that uh, once Apple says no more iPhones for you and I have to go out and buy my own iPhone 6, that I'll probably put the thing in a case the size of a desk. But uh, when it comes down to it, um, I don't understand why you build such a beautiful device and then shroud it in rubber. No, I, I totally agree. I understand it entirely. Uh, the problem is that I'm terrified of, you know, I, I buy the unlock phone. So my iPhone 5S was, God, it was $900 or something. Yeah. And I'm, I, I, you know, if it if it breaks, I, ugh, I want to think about it. The digitally native music consumer you write, meantime, on a journal of musical things, is simply put, music fans who've never known or cared about accessing music except through digital means. Mm-hmm. This is a very, um, it's a long thing for us to discuss here. I invite you to go to the show notes and read the story because if you are, I guess, thirty-five or over maybe 30 and over, it's a good look back, uh, a good look at the generation that's coming up behind you. Mm-hmm. And you see exactly what, um, how they consume music. They, they've never felt the need to have any physical representation of music. It's all been zeros and ones. I was out, uh, there's a, a bright young girl who uh, is working on an essay. Guess that she's 17. She's working on a 4,000 word essay for her uh, high school uh, class in, in the coming year. So she was talking about, wanted to talk about the rise of indie music. And we got to talking about the rise of the internet and the effect that the internet has had on music distribution. And about halfway through the conversation, I asked her, you know, how do you get your music? And she looked at me like I was an idiot. And no, I'm serious. How do you get your music? She goes, I just rip it from YouTube, of course. Oh, so she's not even an iTunes type of person. Completely skipped over that. She doesn't see, see that doesn't make any sense to me because there's so much work involved in stealing music through YouTube. You've got to not only rip it off the YouTube site itself, but then you've got to input all the MP3 tags, the ID3 tags and all that nonsense, find the album art. Isn't that a huge pain? Oh, I would think so. And then I asked her, well, does fidelity matter to you? What do you mean? Well, does oh, the, she didn't even know what the word meant? Well, I, I don't think she understood it in the context of of the conversation. Do are, is good sound important to you? Do you like you know things like deep bass and high highs? What kind of speakers do you listen to your music with? And and she said, well, usually you know on my headphones or you know if if I'm on a laptop, I just listen to the laptop speakers. And uh, wait a second. Did every fiber of your being scream out and want to strangle her? It did. I said, that's good enough for you? That The music coming out of your tinny laptop speakers is good enough for you? And she went, yeah, I guess. It's it's just, just the way I'm fine with it. Chances are she wasn't born before 1982, right? Uh, she was 17, so we can figure that out. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, so so I said, have you never heard music? Have you never had the the desire and the need to to get a stereo system with with you know like speakers that you could listen to it in its full full glory? And she goes, well, you know, it seems like it takes up a lot of room. I'm really not interested. Mm-hmm. So there, that's the kind. And, and I was thinking about her when I when I was reading this article on digital natives. She is the prime example. She everything is zeros and ones. Everything is ripped off. Uh, or ripped from uh, online sources, doesn't buy music, and the sound of the music is secondary to the ability to actually get it. Which brings us to this thing, and I was mentioning about 1982. That was the year, of course, Sony and Philips unveiled the compact disc. And uh, I had never understood the backstory or knew about the backstory to the long box. Mm. This is a, 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 a the environmental crime perpetrated by the the music industry all because we were accustomed to seeing on a store shelf a 12 inch vinyl album well it wasn't our fault it wasn't the consumer's fault it was the record retailers doing because they had spent untold millions of dollars constructing untold millions of miles of shelving that was designed to hold a 12 inch record and when the cd came out people were very concerned about shoplifting so how do you display these new cds and uh, the long box was the compromise. You could put two long box. Okay, a long box was, a, was an oversized cardboard packaging that was twice as long or sometimes three times as long as the CD was, was wide. Mm-hmm. And you could display two CDs side by side in long boxes in the same bin that it would, would otherwise hold a 12-inch record. Uh, and because it was so big and bulky, it also made it more difficult to shoplift. And also more difficult to open. Oh, I, I bet you if I looked around my house, there were two types of long boxes. There were the uh, the cardboard ones, which you could just rip open. And, but then there were the laminated plastic ones. And I don't know what grade of plastic that they used, but it was almost impossible to open up one of those things with anything less than tin snips. And we've got REM to thank... For ending it all. Yeah, because when their, uh, was it, which album was it? I forget what I wrote. It was their Out of Time album. Right, so that was, you know, REM being the social activists that they are, they, they launched a campaign with the Out of Time album to get the record industry to cut it out. And and thank God that they were, uh, they were successful because it was just, uh, I do not mourn the long box. No one should. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Hey, good afternoon, guys. It's uh, Gary Stuthers calling from Toronto. I'm just calling to ask Alan anything. Um, There's an old saying that says you should never meet your heroes. Um, I guess it's the inevitable disappointment of those people. But I'm just wondering, Alan or Michael, what are your thoughts on that? And is there anyone that you have met that you kind of wish you didn't meet in the first place? Anyways, thanks again, and uh, have a great day. On a, uh, a side note, you should probably put your phone number on the website. I couldn't, I dialed like four times the wrong number, and then had to look it up, and couldn't look it up, and had to skim through your podcast to get it. Anyways, uh, have fun. We'll talk soon. Bye. Yes, I know that. This, I, this is why I keep asking you what it is. I fixed it. I fixed it. I fixed it. I'm sorry. Three two three three nineteen nerd. Okay, good. 
Uh, is there anybody that I've met, any hero that I've met that has disappointed me? No, I can actually say there hasn't been. In fact, all the people that I've wished to meet have actually been uh, more than I expected them to be. Uh, you know, Bowie, Bono, Dave Grohl, guys from the Foo Fighters, uh, guys from Beastie Boys. So nobody's been a total to you? No, even Morrissey was a good dude to me. Oh, and he's got a reputation. Yeah, he does. No, Morrissey and I got along really, really well. Is there anybody you want to talk to who you haven't spoken to yet who would be a hero of yours? Uh, I need a Rolling Stone on my list. I have to have a Jagger or a Richards. Paul McCartney was a bit distracted, but that was, again, during a press conference. Did I ever tell you my Paul McCartney story? No, no, you never did. Okay, so I got to go to a press conference, and there were, I think, five or six people who were uh, allowed to ask questions. No, it's my dad's phone. Good morning. <laughs> I keep forgetting you're not in your home studio. No, I'm not, and I have no control over the phone. So uh, I was the last person selected to ask a question at this particular press conference. And at the time, Paul had recently just been married to Heather Mills. So I asked him, uh, well, here's, here's how the conversation went. It went like this. Uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on your, your recent marriage to Heather. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a question about your reception. Did you have a DJ or a live band? And he goes... A live band. Why? Well, did you at any point think that they might be intimidated? And he goes, no. Why should they? That's my story. Why should they? Yeah. And he, he was genuinely puzzled. <laughs> so why would they be, you know, the, you know, the, the biggest names in, 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 in music would have been there. And you're playing for Paul McCartney. Right, because it's not just Sir Paul McCartney who's there on the dais. You've probably got a who's who of the industry. Also, you know what? I can imagine that while they might have been nervous, this would have been their opportunity of a lifetime. I think Sting was there. Well, let's ask him about it when we bring him out. If you've got a question for Ask Alan Anything, call 323-319-NERD. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB News Update. The GNB Mug Tour 2014 continues. Algonquin Park. Who was that? Was that Andrew Stokely? That is GNB's uh, resident audio expert, Andrew Stokely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. He's got one of the best cut lines I've ever seen at the bottom of an email. Uh, the signature line reads, um, nobody cares about audio until they can't hear it. <laughs> That's good. I like that. It is. That is uh, really good. Also, the the man who started the hashtag extravaganza in the first place, uh, Victor Biggio, uh, is uh, looking at PEI in the distance in a cold bevy in his GNB Miracle Travel mug as well. Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, with the sunset there, it's a beautiful thing. I think Stokely and Biggio are going at each other here <laughs> to, to try to top each other for most poetic-looking uh, photo of their traveling mugs. I should have brought mine. I could have taken a picture of me on the shores of the Red River. You could have, but you didn't. I didn't. Again. Again. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad co-host. You think you're the bad co-host? I bought a Miracle Travel mug of traveling for Wifey. Wifey threw it out. Why? She felt it was too heavy. Oh! Now, if you look at Victor Biggio's, he's got the original GNB Miracle Travel mug of traveling, as does Andrew Stokely. Uh, since then, Cafe Press, which is the company that uh, rips us off with these mugs, uh, they've changed the look of them. They're not as heavy as they used to be. They're not a ceramic anymore. I think you've got the black-topped one, right? Uh, I've got the metal one. Oh, well, then there you go. You've got the one that you could throw at somebody and brain them. 
I actually knocked a full cup of coffee off the counter onto a onto a stone floor, and it remained completely intact except for a tiny little dent on the bottom. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I I love my miracle tra- travel mug of traveling. Before we go, uh, do you believe that your headphones represent a symbol of your individuality and belief in personal freedom? No. What? No. I saw this 3D printing company that is putting together, well, they, they use an app and they, you map your ears and you can create these weird looking wireless headphones. It used to be enough that you would have the white earbuds saying that you were an Apple customer. Then you had to have the big over the ear Beats uh, headphones to prove that you had way too much money and too little sense when it came to audio. Now you can create these weird sort of Vulcan uh, type in-ear things that uh, are limited design uh, that is limited only by your imagination. So the idea here is that it's sculpted, it's molded to fit your ear canal slash outer ear, but then uh, unlike the Apple phones, which just have a little white bud sticking out of it, you could actually customize using 3D printing whatever you want. Like for example, the image that you've shown us here is of what appears to be really thick brown ear hair coming out of this woman. Yeah, it is just disgusting. It's revolting. Yes. What was she thinking? I have no idea. She's just a model. I'm assuming that this is just something that somebody stuck in her ears. What would you make for beyond that inner ear canal area kind of thing? What would I make? What would you have sticking out of your noggin? Supposing I would do something like this? Oh, okay. So you wouldn't do it? No. Uh, what comes to mind, if you origi- think back to the original Star Trek, there was something that Spock stuck in his ear when he was at the science station. As did Ohura. Didn't she have the same sort of thing? She had something too, yes. Yeah, that, that was really weird. It, it, it looked like a screwdriver sticking out of your ear. It did. You'd be a real hit at Comic-Con. And only at Comic-Con. Only at Comic-Con. I'd go for the Steve Martin uh, arrow through the ears. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.